because he was he was bringing up an issue that I cared about, but I didn't even know it, <laughs> you know, until he said it. So I guess I think a good candidate would have, you know, be passionate and have issues that they really want to uh, solve and policies that they're willing to fight for. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Social Discord, part two of The Young and the Political. I'm Dalen Turk. I'm Kara Thibault. And I'm Curtis Medina. All right, so this is part two of our episode on The Young and the Political, young people participating in politics. And uh, Curtis, why don't you, I know you had some things that you wanted to discuss at the end of the previous episode before we head in here with Daniel Carlino, but... Let us know what was on your mind and what you wanted to touch base on real quick. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so you know, in the last episode, we talked a lot about, um, you know, sort of sort of the disconnect between um, the average age of Congress and the uh, the makeup of, of uh, the U.S. currently. Um, mm-hmm. I believe we're somewhere around 30 percent um, millennial or younger um, in this country. And yet we're, you know, uh, the, a lot of the younger voice is not really being heard, um, in politics, not being taken seriously. Um, you know, when, they, when, when a young person does run, like say like AOC, um, you know, they're, they're kind of scrutinized for kind of stupid things. Uh, they're made fun of as far as, uh, you know, not having enough experience and all that. And yet on the other end, uh, you know, we, we get widely criticized for not doing enough to make a difference. Um, so, you know, so so my main hope is that is that you know if somebody is is out there that's listening, especially if you're in the you know under forty or so crowd, um, you know that a part of these younger generations, that you know you'll hear this and you'll be more motivated uh, motivated to to actually uh, consider running, um, you know, give it a, a real shot, um, and and even if if you don't necessarily um, you know, say when the first time that you'll, that you'll try again, you'll learn from your mistakes and, and uh, you'll be a part of this conversation because I think we all really need your voice in that. Um, and from, to, from the, there's an article on, um, I don't know how to say that, A-X-I-O-S, how do you say that? Axios? Axios, that's what I would assume. Yeah, okay, that's what I always said, but I, just wanted, <laughs> I didn't want to say it wrong. <laughs> um, from Axios, uh, from an article from 2018, it said that about 700 millennial candidates are running um, in 2018 and approximately, uh, 6,000 state legislative off, uh, le- legislative races. Um, and so now we're in 2020, but this is from the last, you know, I guess you'd say major election. Um, most of the, of the millennial candidates that were running in 2018 were Democrats. Um, and that, and that it said that if they, if, if a, a huge wave of those people had won, um, it, it, the average age would have low, lowered from like 67 down to 56. So, so it would have been more representation, you know, m- better representation, I guess, even if it's only a decade. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, um, well, but, and you uh, constantly, like there've been so many stories coming out now when it comes to elections of, you know, you hear this young person coming in, you know, 35 years old and they beat out, you know, this person who's held their seat for 18 years it seems right. like that's been happening more and more often. Well, and, and you know, you know, and, and like, and I don't want to turn this into an ageist show either. So, I mean, like, so like, like there is an aspect of me when I see that I'm like, you know, hell yeah. Like, like good, you know, that, that, you know, that we're getting better representation, but at the same time, like there's, you know, if, if Bernie Sanders taught us anything, it's that, you know, it doesn't really matter what your age is. You could, you could still, um, you know, identify with a lot of very modern progressive ideas. So it's not so, you know, so at no, no point do I want to like make it sound like uh, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just about voting someone young, you know, over someone old because they are older because, uh, you know, they might they might be the better candidate. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. But, yeah. Um, the, the other thing that that, that that same article was talking about, it's the, the bigger picture it was trying to paint was it said the millennials are most likely to identify as liberal. Um, uh, what was the other thing? Um, and they're more, more likely to be bipartisan than their older counterparts. Right. So, so, you know, so right now we have a little bit of a struggle because anytime that somebody is running that's younger, like you assume that they're probably more liberal, but that's really not the point of, of what I'm trying to say or what I think the show should try to say. You know, if you, you could be somebody that's very conservative and, you, if, you know, if you're a younger person, you should run just like anyone else. Um, you know, just because it's, it, you're more likely to be one way or the other doesn't mean that you have to be. So yeah, so basically, you know, the the my goal for this episode is I want to make sure that 
that uh, we can motivate people to run who are, uh, who are especially who are under 40, uh, figure out why they don't, um, some of the, the blockades that they have and, and empower them to, uh, to give them some resources as far as some advice and some, uh, some of the websites and organizations that can help them do those first few steps in case they're, they want to do that. All right, perfect. And so with that being said, let's bring our guest today. Uh, he ran for Montana Public Service Commission in District 4 in uh, 2020. Uh, Daniel Carlino, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Daylin, Curtis, and Kara. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So let's go ahead and head in. So you study at the University of Montana. You actually have a degree in environmental studies and wildlife bio. That's correct? Uh, yes. Yep. So, I just graduated uh, last year here. And so with that type of degree, what, what got you into politics? What made you want to run? Is that something your family has background in? You know, what garnered that interest? No, I don't have any family background in politics and uh, families overall uh, more on the conservative side of, of politics. But after getting into environmental studies and just uh, seeing how horrific our uh, human's relationship with nature has been uh, over the past couple hundred years, especially, um, it got me really just looking for solutions on how we can uh, really not take us down this the same path that we've been going down and um, quickly realized that climate change is the overarching issue as far as any environmental problems go and uh, many social justice problems as well. Just having all this information of, of how, how horrible things are, it's almost like I couldn't go without taking some sort of action. So um, we started a uh, couple friends of mine uh, and me started this uh, Sunrise Movement uh, group here in Montana two Januarys ago where we started organizing around a Green New Deal and um, and I, we launched this uh, No Fossil Fuel Money pledge campaign. So we were trying to take the fossil fuel money out of politics is, is at least one way that I saw that we could kind of um, change the system to where we actually are able to make uh, the changes necessary to stop climate change. So um, basically I started uh, going to, we did a bunch of different um, um, avenues of, and tactics uh, to try and get these politicians to stop taking fossil fuel money. But um, one that I would always do is I would go to their events and uh, usually during the question and answer comment, uh, period, I'd always try and get the microphone and then mm -hmm. just get, you know, basically just ask them like, uh, why, why do you support these projects? Why do you support this? And will you st uh, stop taking all the money that you take from the fossil fuel industry lobbies, PACs, and CEOs. What and, did they say? Yeah, what answer? Um, what answers did you get? I usually get we we got a so we've got about twenty <laughs> we've gotten about twenty Montana politicians to sign, but oh, wow. overall we I've gotten denied by at least three times that number. Yeah, um, and the big disappointing one was there was this there's a our U.S. senator, a Democratic U.S. senator here. John Tester from Montana. Right. Uh, he ran in 2018 and uh, he had a bunch of campaign ads and like one of his main platforms was how he was going to take on the, uh, the battle uh, with climate change too. And then here it is me. Uh, I helped his campaign a little bit, did some volunteering. And then here I get to finally talk to the, to our U S Senator in person um, and ask him to sign a no fossil fuel pledge. And I asked him to stop supporting the Keystone XL pipeline. And basically, he just kind of jumped around the question for about four or five minutes and then um, and basically said that if he doesn't t take that fossil fuel money, he's not going to win. And if he doesn't win, then we have a Republican in there instead. And he just he just basically but at the same time, he has the same exact position as as the Republican uh, senator here on, on the Keystone XL and other big fossil fuel projects. That's fascinating. So, I mean, they're just so entrenched in the system that they need to take all this lobbyist money. I mean, it's not just the fossil fuel industry too, because this same Senator takes money from uh, private prison industries and, and healthcare and pharmaceuticals and, you know, you name it, but um, basically That's definitely a part of Montana that, you know, like I'm not saying it's right, but I, but I do, I do understand their worry about it that, you know, they have to ride that line between like, their beliefs and balancing, you know, the other side or whatever. Cause I, I, I've, I've heard that same argument from, from the Republican and the democratic side. It's, it's definitely a, a risk to take any, any big swing either way. Right. Right. Yeah. But part of me just thinks that, that this guy in that moment, I just realized that he really doesn't care about climate change as much as he says, um, or is willing to take any like action himself because uh, like, for example, if the Keystone XL pipeline, 
that I was trying to uh, get him to stop supporting and our other Montana politicians. Um, he, it's a Canadian company trying to build a pipeline through Montana, through our uh, Native American uh, mm-hmm. reservations, um, like or by their water supplies, to ship oil across the U.S. to sell it to China. And it only creates <laughs> about 30 uh, permanent jobs in Montana. So the, I, he, he knows this. Like, it's not like it's not like he doesn't know what's going on, but I mean, his donors are telling him that he must support it uh, Republican or Democrat. And it was just very disheartening of a moment for me. And I had about 10 of those with like every major democratic politician really? in Montana. Yeah. The, the one nice thing about organizing uh, politically in Montana is that you get to uh, pretty easily talk to all the candidates at some point, oh, yeah. go to their events or at least, at least the democratic uh, candidates. Mm-hmm. So just got, I just ended up just pretty much calling out every single politician like the, uh, in Montana. Um, and it was just so frustrating. And um, yeah, that's kind of what mostly got me into politics in the first place. I was just working to stop climate change and seeing that, you know, the, the main people in the way is really just like uh, stopping climate change is uh, the fossil fuel industry executives, like not the workers, but just the people that are making the big decisions there mm-hmm. and, um, and their corrupt politicians who are just willing to let them do what they want rather what let these companies do what they want rather than do what's best um for our climate or for our people so. yeah and, and as you guys can see like daniel talks super uh straightforward intelligently about these issues i wanted to mention that like uh the reason that that i first uh started talking to daniel was he actually called me as a, a as a voter um and uh and 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 we spoke for about oh i don't know it was about five to ten minutes um, about about climate change and about some of his ideas to fix it, and 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 what was crazy was you know you usually get the call or whatever it'll be a robocall or it'll be you know it'll be it'll be you know somebody helping or whatever and the, and they'll just say like uh, you know vote for me because you should basically like that, that's kind of like the general gist but mm-hmm. like but they don't always necessarily are able to really talk to you about what what they believe and the really like nitty gritty of, of of how it would work. Um, but with Daniel, like, you know, like it was fascinating. I started taking notes when we were talking <laughs> because he was, he was bringing up an issue that I cared about, but I didn't even know it, <laughs> you know, until he said it. And so, uh, you know, so I, I remember thinking like, wow, like, I mean, you sounded like you, you know, you had sort of a younger voice. So I kind of assumed you mm-hmm. probably were, but either way, like I was, I was like, wow, this is exactly the type of person, you know, that should be in office that, you know, they care enough to have a five to 10 minute conversation, um, you know, basically just nerd out about politics with you. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's amazing. Daniel, can, yeah, you, can you tell us a little that. bit about the position you ran for and, you know, what platform you ran on? Yeah. Um, so the Public Service Commission uh, in Montana, at least, has a very specific job. Uh, they pretty much regulate um, the utility rates. Uh, the government here granted monopolies to um, our energy, our water, our tele- uh, telecommunications, um, railroad, um, and, and sewer and things like and uh, recycling and um, compost and um, trash and everything. So basically, each of these utilities, uh, they're all regulated by this group of five people called the Public Service Commission. And um, they get to approve or disapprove any rate changes that these companies um, uh, put forward. But they also get to have a big say of approving or disapproving um, any large infrastructure projects that would affect uh, public lands or anything like that. So, you know, my main motivation um, is is uh, our energy utility because um, energy is the uh, biggest uh, emitter of greenhouse gas emissions. And um, also our energy company here, uh, Northwestern Energy, has um, been working with the Public Service Commission to pass unfair utility uh, increases throughout the years. Because um, we had the fourth cheapest power in the whole US here uh, before this company took over. After they took over, now we've got the most expensive. Um, 22 y- years later, we have the most expensive uh, power in the Pacific Northwest and um, and this company's uh, only uh, doubled their profits in the past five years and are just keep on going. And um, basically uh, they have plans with the energy monopoly, uh, Northwestern Energy to build four new uh, gas plants in Montana within the next five years uh, to double their energy portfolio. And then they're also trying to buy more of a coal strip unit four, which is a coal uh, fire power plant. Um, and they're going to be buying it from 
this uh, company Puget Sound, who's in Washington. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically every other investor um, in this coal strip power plant is having to um, divest from it because of their state's uh, laws with pollution or laws with um, with uh, emissions as well. Um, so all every company uh, outside of Montana is pulling out of this coal-fired plant while this company is trying to buy all their shares because we've got looser uh, environmental restrictions in Montana. And um, basically, <clears throat> um, uh, so yeah, so bas basically I was just running uh, because I was the only candidate who's actually taking a stance against these gas plants. Really? Um, yeah, I was, yeah, on the Democratic side, it was the most frustrating uh, thing for me. That was kind of one of my goals. If I, if I don't, if I didn't win the primary, um, that was, which I didn't. So one of my goals was to at least push the other candidates to take the same stance because it's a logical stance at this time. It matches up with science and matches up, um, there's, and there's plenty of other options on the table as well. But um, basically, nobody else is willing to take a stance against any of the gas plants. So now they're like now we've got no public service commission candidates, um, at least in this district. There is one candidate in District Three that is taking a stance against them. But basically, um, nobody's there to stop these gas plants uh, if we don't have the proper public service commission. So uh, Northwestern Energy will be building uh, more than I mean, unless something else stops them, we'll be building four gas plants, uh, drilling or fracking inside of Montana um, by 2025. They've got one planned each year starting next year. What's really interesting is that you, you know, you had this issue that you wanted to run on that you were passionate about. You knew a lot about it and you found a, the, the, the job to run for that probably most people had no idea what they did. When you called me, my first question was what the heck <laughs> is a PSC? You know, like, like, like not, like not only, you know, did you have to explain to me what you were running for, but even like, I had no idea what you're, what the, I didn't even know it existed, you know? So it's interesting that you like, that you, that you found the issue and then you found the job that, that nobody else would even, you know, probably have, have known outside of say the industry. Um, and you ran for it and, and you gave it your best shot, you know, because you were so passionate about that. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And a lot of people, you know, they think that, that it's not worth running if they're not going to be, you know, the mayor or something. But there's so many local offices you could run for that would make such a big difference, um, you know, to, to your local communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think um, all the power uh, needs to be built from the ground up. And on a quick side note, we were also running, uh, I think we ran about 22 people for uh, precinct committee officers, which is just kind of represents your neighborhood. And they help pick the delegates who pick the super delegates. So mm -hmm. we, we ran 22 people for those and uh, against the uh, current uh, Missoula County Democrats who were in there. Uh, basically, our goal was just to make sure that they can't cheat Bernie out of uh, delegates in Montana. Um, and about half of our precinct committee people won. So wow. and those, the, those races are only about like uh, 100 or 200 votes to decide those. Um, yeah. And then, and then my public service commission uh, district was uh, one fifth of the state. What would you say, like, so, so being, being the age that you are, what would you say is the sort of the biggest attribute and the sort or, or, and also the biggest maybe consequence of, of, of being a, a younger politician? I, um, so I guess the biggest uh, attribute would be that I think I was <coughs> able to reach uh, a different crowd. I was uh, tabling at, at the university here, trying to pull in some of the student vote as much as I could before uh, coronavirus started, obviously had to stop um, reaching out to voters like that. Um, but I think I got a lot of young people to vote in a race that they would would never vote in, especially in the primary. Um, and I think that was just from um, pretty much just me getting around and talking to people about this. I think, uh, especially at, uh, with the younger crowd, they'd be more willing to talk to me about about stuff like this, the climate change and a position that they've never heard of rather than uh, a lawyer who's like in their fifties or sixties, that's kind of talking about the issues. So what do, you think, think it what do you think was the greatest drawback? Um, I think the greatest drawback was that I pretty much had to really uh, work for all my votes. I had to really, like, like <laughs> you said, I had that good conversation with you. Uh, but at first glance, I mean, it, I definitely don't seem like the right choice to most people because you, you look at on one hand, you have a, a lawyer who's been who has 20 years of working in front of the public service commission on different cases and she's in favor of renewable energy and then you have me who's like also in favor of renewable energy but so young 
But then when you look further into the race, then you see I'm the only candidate who's like actually taking a stance against all these gas plants and they're literally trying to double their portfolio. So I guess like the main disadvantage advantage is that like at first glance um, for most voters, um, they just they just seems like she would be the obvious choice. And rather than like looking at the issues, they would just it's much easier to just like disregard somebody who's especially if you're a decades older, older than me, then you must just like think I'm way too young to be a politician and then just um, not be. I just feel like I had to work for my votes a lot more as in like having the actual how conversations. Did you, how did you change people's minds um, who had that worry about your about your experience? Did, did you did you did you have an argument that 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 seemed to you know, connect with, say, older voters who were worried about that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I guess I, I would always, I basically would try and bring it back to the policy issues every single time. But there was this, we did do one Democratic uh, debate. Uh, there was uh, three of us um, in there at one point. And uh, for the closing statement, um, the uh, Monica, who, who ended up winning this uh, race, she was just basically saying in her closing statement that this the Public Service Commission has a really high learning curve, and she's the only person that knows how to do the job in such a yeah. the right time. <laughs> and then, and then I was like, okay. And then, um, and then I got to do my closing statement, and I said uh, something along the lines of, um, "Experience means nothing if you have the wrong vision of what needs to be done to um, stop the climate crisis and yeah. to get everybody their utilities in Montana." And then, <laughs> and she also worked for this energy company um, for one rate case where she helped, uh, she worked for them as a lawyer and helped uh, beat a bunch of environmental people in this energy conservation case. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So then my next, the next thing I said was just experience working for Northwestern energy is not good experience. And then I just went back to Mike drop. Yeah. <laughs> Taking some jabs. <laughs> yeah. Just cause yeah, I, I feel like people need to know that stuff. It's very relevant. And, uh, and I, I just want people to at least know what they're voting for. So I was trying to get the point across in the debate that if you vote for either of these two older candidates, you're going to get gas plants in Montana. They're going to drill and frack for gas in Montana. Or you can vote for me, and I will be a strong voice and vote against all of that. And, you know, that that works for a lot of voters, but um, some people, you know, don't care about the issues as much. Daniel, you may have kind of just touched on this, but we talked about this in our last episodes, just the barriers that people face trying to get into politics, whether that be kind of the internalized doubt or the systemic blockades or the financial aspect. So I'm curious mm-hmm. when you started you know, embarking on this journey, what was the biggest barrier to you? And what did you feel like, dang, if I just had you know more donors or if I just had more yeah. people who believed in young voters, I'd have a better shot at this or um, I'd feel more confident about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was definitely two uh uh, big barriers um, that that come to mind, and definitely one of them was money. Um, I did end up raising about fifteen thousand oh, dollars for the wow. campaign, which was yeah, I was I was very happy nice, with yeah. uh, mostly just from doing events and like uh, just you know basically having to ask people for money at the end of the day after like after mm-hmm. I could tell that they're into my campaign. We were talking um, about that in the last episode. You know how many people our age know somebody that can just write us, you know, a $10,000 check. Like that's not right. something that's realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So I was exactly. So I had hundreds of donors, but, um, but everybody that was donating to my opponent uh, would all just donate the max amount. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then she ended up raising about a hundred thousand dollars. So <sighs> there's that huge barrier of um, not having money to, send out mailers and not having money yep. to compete, compete with ads and stuff like right. that. What so was that the average was, donation that you had? It was around $40, I think. Wow. Okay. I did, I did have a lot of donations that were like three or $5, but the max was 180. So, I mean, I did get a couple dozen people that would donate me the max as well. And like even people I've never met, which was, which was really great. Um, and then the other big barrier. So money was one big barrier to, to running, but it's, um, only because I had a fifth of the state. If it was a local office, it could be done with very little money. Mm-hmm. Um, just by knocking everybody's door and reaching out via phone. Um, but the other big barrier in my campaign... Yeah, uh, uh, Daniel, to, real quick, actually. Uh, um, so you've mentioned that a fifth of the state, and I believe it was it's District 4. Yes. Um, what, um, what does that encompass, I guess? Yeah, so District 4 um, basically goes on the western border of Montana, um, it's, uh, the big, they kind of have, they take the five, uh, biggest cities in Montana and kind of make PSC districts out of that. Gotcha. Okay. So, 
so two thirds of my uh, voters were actually in Missoula County, which is where I live. So I've got two thirds of the voters there, but then we had, had six other rural counties that go up to the uh, northwestern corner of the Canada and Idaho and Montana border, and then down to the bottom left corner. Um, the next biggest city was Hamilton. But um, I, I did some canvassing uh, in every county, and I did, uh, I think I did an event in five of the counties out of the seven. But um, uh, yeah, just, ha- you know, I'd have to drive like four hours to get to the top of my district. And, right. And then to come back down. And I I also like would have been really nice to have a super volunteer in each county to like be able to hold down some organizing there. But I feel like most of my organizing was just going on in Missoula, um, just since that's where I've got most of the connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, and then I was just going to say the other uh, downfall of my uh, the other thing that I think was a big barrier in my campaign uh, was that. I was knocking everybody's doors for months and months with volunteers and doing it together. But while I'm doing that, uh, my opponent was basically just meeting with every uh, Democratic politician in Montana and like former politicians and then just racking up endorsements from every single one of them. And then they would send out emails to their list, yada, yada, yada. And she basically just got like like about 100 endorsements from different like Democratic candidates. And um, there was a couple that endorsed me. But I wasn't really trying for endorsements, and I definitely should have because uh, uh, she just basically uh, got every Democrat to endorse her mm-hmm. with, and without any of them talking to me even about my campaign. You know, I know endorsements are, are super important. I understand that they are. But, you know, personally speaking, like I've never voted or not voted for somebody based on an endorsement. Like I, I don't right. totally get why people put so much stock into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so, too. It's it can be a little silly. Um, yeah. There's a lot of back, back, uh, backroom stuff going on. Right. I, I feel like it's, uh, if, if you don't want to do the research on the people that you're voting for, um, you often turn to, right. well, this is the politician I do like, and this is who they're endorsing. Huh? It's like, like, well, John so Tester likes her. So they, I they guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And there was well, just so much of that going on against me. That was, it was pretty hard. Um, after, what would you... after they just all wrapped up with so many endorsements. What would you say was the best use of your money? Like the, 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 the sm- say the, the smallest amount that got you the most mm-hmm. um, attention and votes? Um, I would, you know, I probably would say the phone banking program. Um, it really, I mean, I spent money on all sorts of things, but once coronavirus hit, I kind of had to cancel our plan for just a big uh, canvas, uh, just oh. a big push for canvassing. Yeah. And uh, I used to use the Bernie dialer um, where you can just basically call people much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, so I just set up uh, the same program that, that Bernie had with his Bernie dialer uh, on my website and things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it would make it to where basically anybody could just easily phone bank for my campaign. And then we were able to have, I think on, we would do uh, phone banks on zoom pretty much every day at the last like month and a half. Mm-hmm. And um we probably had about like 30 or 40 different people come on and, and phone bank with me, which was really, which is really great. And I think that only cost like total. We probably spent like a hundred dollars and we called, we dialed like 8,000 people, but you only really get into a conversation with maybe like 1500 of those right. people. But um, that was a good use of money. Definitely. And, and just these little um, walk cards of flyers that I've been, given out mm-hmm. um i printed like fifteen thousand of those like a long time ago <laughs> and uh we almost made it through all of them but coronavirus wow. definitely didn't help but yeah right we would just leave those at people's doors and like give them to give them to people after i talked to people about my campaign um and and use them for canvassing and basically just try to get those all around town and and to as many people's hands as i could what was the name of the bernie dialer again um it's uh it's a program called through talk and oh, uh, I didn't know wait, that. Maybe not through talk, actually. Uh, I can't remember right this second. Yeah, I'm um, blanking on it, too. I actually even even uh, did a little bit of help for the Bernie campaign on, on it. And I'm, I'm totally blanking on what it's called right this second. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't used it for, for over a month now. But right. on, on, my, on my website, I just called it the Carly No Caller. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so, Daniel, you've mentioned uh, a handful of times how, you know, obviously the coronavirus put a big wrench in your campaign. But um, one thing I've been reading up doing research on the show is just how advantageous social media is for younger people running for office. Mm-hmm. You know, they 
there's a quote from this Q&A that I read where Instagram is to AOC what radio was to FDR and what, you know, television was mm-hmm. to JFK. In what ways, if any, did you use social media to help you through, you know, campaigning during Corona? And how successful was it? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, it definitely, it definitely helped a lot. I, I would say, cause I mean, that's all free advertising and, uh, I, I started my campaign last last uh, July, I think I launched it, and um, I didn't end up making my Instagram for my account until like December, which mm-hmm. I should have done earlier, but mm-hmm. by the time uh, election was coming, I had like 1,500 or so followers on Instagram, and then I, I messaged literally every single one of them to try and, wow. I think, uh, almost all of them, to try and talk to them, and then I, I think I had like 600 or so on Facebook, uh, the P- uh, PSC page, um, but yeah, like my older opponents, I think they have like, they try to also make social media accounts and their Instagram would just have like 40 or 50 people on there. <laughs> so I, it definitely helped. And then like just asking people to, to share the stuff around. Um, but another big thing that helped with social media for me, uh, is this, I've just been organizing in Missoula around climate and, um, at our university and with many different groups here. So I just had already had a lot of connections in the organizing community in Missoula, uh, beforehand. Um, so that, that also really helped just like being able to, that other organizations also push out my social media stuff too. And just, yeah, just kind of asking, just basically asking everybody for help, um, via social media, just like letting them know that it really helps to share my stuff. So please share it all. And I think <laughs> oh. we reached a lot of people. You know, it's I'm, funny. I'm, okay. Um, when Curtis, uh, Curtis first mentioned you to me, I, you know, did some Google and looked up your name. And then like a couple days later, I'm scrolling innocently through Facebook and all of a sudden there's a <laughs> Daniel Carlino ad. I was like, hey, oh, it no. works. <laughs> yeah. How, um, yeah how much? tell that you Googled it. <laughs> how, how much, if any, did do you think would have affected the turnout for, for your race or say specifically to vote your voters that who would have voted for you if, if Bernie had still been uh, running when the Montana – uh, primary happened. Uh, I think it. I think it definitely would have helped um, a little bit. I think I, I definitely needed to have sent a mailer out to everybody at the end, but that was mm-hmm. going to cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, Bernie in the progressive wave, uh, getting all the excitement, definitely was helping my campaign. And then when he dropped out, um, it it was a little bit because I, I was organizing for Bernie like pretty consistently here in Missoula, and we were like holding events and stuff. So. It was just kind of a sad moment, first of all, when he dropped out, that realizing sure. that we're we're not gonna um, have a Green New Deal right now, or you know mm-hmm. some of these things that Bernie was proposing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it definitely, I think it definitely hurt a little bit, but I wouldn't have affected the election too much. But sure. Yeah, a lot of people did tell me that I should like endorse Bernie on my PSC page and things, um, and I mean I've I was like pretty flamboyantly like a, a Bernie supporter anyhow, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it would have helped a little bit. The reason I asked was, you know, I, I heard, I heard a, 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 a lot of, I read a lot of stories and heard a lot of people talking about how, you know, the fallout of Bernie dropping out when he did, even though it was probably necessary, it also like was really going to negatively affect a lot of progressive candidates, um, down the yeah. ballot. Uh, there was a big thing in, um, there was a big thing in um, in New York, and uh, I think it was New York State, where they had to fight to keep him on the ballot, even though he wasn't like even running. And and a lot of people were like, "Well, why would we do that?" And and the reason was, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people that that you know are progressives that aren't going to be disheartened and are not going to come out unless unless Bernie's an right. option if he's not even on the ticket, you know. So um, right, he yeah. was luckily on the ticket here in Montana, so I got to vote right. for him this time. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, let's see. Um, what attributes do you think makes a good politician? Um, is, is there anything that, that, you know, you would recommend if somebody out there is listening, mm-hmm. you know, who's maybe on the fence, they kind of feel like they might want to run for something, you know, what would you, what would you, what would you ask them to see if, 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 you know, if, if they are a good, good, can't good choice. Right. Um, yeah, I remember, this quote my philosophy teacher all, uh, told us once that anybody who wants to be in power shouldn't be in power. <laughs> that's fascinating. That's that's a good one. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Um, so I, I think uh, definitely something that all new politicians and 
new candidates I think could have is really just like standing for issues and something that you want to get done rather than just uh, wanting to get into office. Um, I don't know. I think just like really focusing in on like why you're running and like what you want to accomplish because uh, a lot of people get in, get into office and then um, just kind of want to be like the Democrat or the Republican on there and just stand with their party. But I mean, there's just a lot of work to do for trying to, you know, fix some of the social injustices in our country. So I guess I think a good candidate would have, you know, be passionate and have issues that they really want to uh, solve and policies that they're willing to fight for. Um, but I think the, you know, the more like average people that run for office, I guess average as in not part of like the, uh, uh, two party uh, establishment mm-hmm. um, is great. Like I, you know, just like most uh, politicians, just get taken away by um, the party telling them what to do, or like, or or their donors. And I just think people just having stuff that they stand for and are passionate about, like getting done, um, rather than just wanting to be in office, I think is mm-hmm. really important. So I, I mean, like for me, it was it was really climate change that got me to want to run. Um, and then just seeing what was going on here. But I mean, I'm, I'm really want to help with all, all these issues, like the economic injustices, the racial injustices, um, everything. And, and, uh, but yeah, climate is really like the one that I, that made me uh, feel like I'm not just going to sit back and watch these, watch these people do the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Beyond just caring about an issue, what can we do to incentivize mm-hmm. more younger people to, to, to run for office, meaning not necessarily like, like, you know, monetarily, I just mean like, you know, how can we make a connection more between for, for the average, average person, especially average younger person, how can we make that connection between you should run for office because the reward will be, you know, say a better world or whatever. Like, how can we, how can we make that connection with more people? Right. Um, I, I think just like really letting, letting the younger people, uh, know that they are powerful and, um, like, like that's we, such a good statement right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Just I, that's the main thing that comes to mind. Like, like what your work is worthwhile and we can like actually make some huge changes. Um, and then really just whenever you know that there's a younger candidate running, just reaching out to them and seeing how you can help, um, c- you know, connecting them with organizations. But yeah, like we're, we, uh, AOC won when she was 29 against, um, like, yeah, like a 15 year incumbent, um, uh, many other people are also running for office, uh, uh for big offices like that uh, at a young age. I think the amount that you said of millennials that are running for, that ran for legislature in 2018 sounded awesome. And mm-hmm. I, I bet there was even more this year. And, um, yeah, I just, I just, people can do it. It's definitely possible. Um, yeah. And I just, it's just like a really it's our future at stake. And, you know, if we're just going to watch these people that are at average age of almost 70 running our country, um, we're not going to see any change. So really got to step up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, that, that might be a good segue, Dalen, to, uh, to, you know, some of the websites and, and organizations that are actually out there to, that help incentivize um, and help, uh, help, you know, basically just help people get into politics when they're brand new to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, yeah, going, um, Daniel, why don't you tell us what, what were the first steps that you took? Like you said, you didn't really have much experience in politics before. What, what were the steps that you took to start running? Yeah. Um, so basically I was, uh, we took a bus full of people to go comment to the public service commission about this 20 year energy plan that Northwestern energy was trying to do. And I just, you know, I got up there and said my comments to them and just had five, like very old people, like the guy that was in my seat uh, here for PSC is in his eighties, just staring at me with a blank face as everybody, <laughs> as we, we fill this room with hundreds of people all commenting against their plan. And then these guys just get to all stare at us in their suits and then go home <laughs> and do the exact opposite. Um, and, and right there is where I decided to run. And that was, uh, <laughs> it was right after commenting. I was just like, Oh my goodness, this guy is 80 years old. He doesn't believe in climate change. He has, it just does whatever the energy company wants. So I just uh, decided to run, and um, I guess I was already pretty involved with organizing with my Sunrise Movement group here. So, um, you know, the very first thing I did was reach out to my friend who I know builds websites, and then he helped me build a website. And then I just kind of started building my platform, just kind of typing it up on what I'm going to run for. And um, 
and then uh, my other friend is a videographer, so we just made like a little campaign video to get going. Um, but it was a know, good video, by the way. Oh, <laughs> it's a very good video. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it was really fun making. And then, um, yeah, so I did those two things, but I still had really no strategy. So I just uh, started to basically email everybody who I know just like does political, who've worked for on other people's campaigns uh, around Missoula, and then just you know met with them and showed them my website and video. And just told him that I was about to launch my campaign. And then um, I got uh, one guy who has been organizing around here for about 15 or 20 years um, who uh, came to speak at one of my Sunrise events a long time ago. He kind of helped manage my campaign the first uh, the first five or six months. And then I took it over from there. But, I, you know, you kind of just need one person who's ran campaigns in your same uh like where you live, just like in your community, if you have a community organizer who just, who believes in you as a, as a person and, um, and is willing to help uh, lay out a campaign campaign plan for you, I think is like the, the real first step. Um, yeah. My friend, uh, Andy, who's helping me manage my campaign, just, he gave me like a 14 or so page campaign plan uh, before I launched it. And then just kind of just a plan for voter outreach and things. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like campaigning is mostly, especially at a local level, is just kind of talking to people about these issues and and um, and just kind of making a plan to talk to everybody, basically. And then another plan to reach out to them once or twice more with a mailer or text or social media. Um, we kind of we made a plan to just try and reach out to people in at least five different ways, um, like yard signs, social media, uh, emails and uh, talking, canvassing and phone banking and whatnot. Um so I guess the first thing would just be finding somebody who's already done it there in, in wherever you live and who's already worked on some campaigns and just that, that believes in you. And um, and if you don't know somebody like that then or aren't able to find somebody like that, I would reach out to uh, the local Sunrise Movement group there or um, any other uh, similar groups that are what, also what is What is Sunrise Group? Uh, you know, you mentioned yeah. it a couple of times. I actually don't know what that is. What is oh, that? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, the Sunrise Movement is uh, – uh, basically, their t- tagline is, uh, we're building an army of young people to help stop uh, climate change and create millions of good jobs in the process. And um, there, it's got started in 2017, but now there's about 400 or so hubs across the country. So they're oh, wow. in most places. Yeah. So I helped get the one started here in Missoula. And basically, our ultimate goal is uh, working for a Green New Deal um, and uh, basically a 10-year mobilization to... Uh, stop climate change through policy and rebuild our economy uh, to where we put um, uh, the front line, the most vulnerable uh, communities uh, at the forefront of every decision. So I guess kind of basically we're a group of young people that takes uh, direct action, um, mostly focused on pol- politicians to try and get them to, um, you know, change, change their, change their ways and, and ideally uh, endorse a green new deal. So um, yeah, I guess well, it's, a lot to explain, but basically we're just trying to, uh, like we look back at like past social movements that have worked and we try to mm-hmm. replicate that in the fight for um, what's going on now. I wonder how many people from that movement Joe Biden will attract since he didn't he just announce like the $2 trillion policy to um, basically convert the country to 100% renewable and electric energy by like 2050. Um, yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I, did, I wonder how many people that will attract from that movement. I think it's help. I think it's starting to help. Um, at least here in Missoula, most of us are pretty anti Joe Biden, but you know, people <laughs> might still vote. People might still vote for him anyway, just to remove uh, Trump out of there. But, That's what um, I was going to say too. You know, it might be the opposite. You know, it might it might be. You know, I wonder. I wonder how many people in that movement it took to get Joe Biden to commit to that. That's true. Yeah. And that, that's very true. I I stand corrected. That's very true. And it's, we, there's actually a couple of videos of uh, some people from Sunrise, uh, from our Sunrise Movement group, um, talking to Joe Biden months and months ago. And he, it, it was, there was this one video where he said, "Well, you ought to vote for somebody else." And then, uh, but Varshini, who is um, Varshini, is uh, one of the directors for Sunrise Movement nationally, and she's on uh, Joe Biden's um, climate force or climate team or whatever it is. Uh, Joe, uh, I think Bernie Sanders is on there too, um, but he was she was part of a. Uh, helping push him for that plan. But right now, Sunrise Movement is just kind of saying, like, obviously we have to remove Trump and um, is, is kind of what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, we know that we wanted Bernie because Sunrise Movement nationally endorsed Bernie. But um, we're just going to keep pushing Joe and, like, to push him 
towards the left until he you know matches up with some of these things. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just tough when Joe Biden takes his donators or like over a hundred billionaires, um, pretty much all the lob- like different industry lobbyists. So it's right. just kind of tough to sway somebody that already has all these other people in their ear. Yeah, and just to be clear too, you know, to the listeners again, like you know, even even though we're we're talking a lot about the the liberal side of of you know of of gaining traction and grassroots, um, you know, uh, uh, running for campaigns and stuff, we're not trying to you know alienate somebody who say is on the conservative side of this, um, you know. So I, I do want to I do want to name a few different organizations um, that are at least somewhat bipartisan. Um, I mean, it's true that that almost all uh, you know, millennial groups do lean liberal because compared, especially to baby boomers, uh, most most millennials are quite a bit more middle or liberal than than, than the older. And as I mentioned in the last episode, it's seeing more and more that younger, you know, Republicans, younger conservatives are separating themselves quite a bit from the GOP. Right. One of the one of the ones I wanted to make sure I mentioned was um, it, it's an organization called the Millennial Action Project or MAP, M-A-P. Um, it's a group that supports candidate candidacies of those under 45. Um, and uh, and and the, the quote from their website was um, as a nat- as a national nonpartisan nonprofit dedicated to act to activating millennial policymakers, M.A.P., uh, gives our nation's young leaders the resources and s- support to create, introduce, and pass legislation. Legislation. Well, I can't even say that word for some reason. Um, and uh, and force productive pro- uh, for- forge productive partnerships on the issues affecting the youngest generation of Americans. And they have an absolutely amazing list of reforms that they've assisted um, in passing um, already. And 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 I don't think they've been around for that long. And so I, I definitely encourage uh, anyone listening to check out the Millennial Action um, uh, or MAP um, organization to, to to help you get started and align yourself with other young people who might be running, whether or not you're liberal or conservative or some or, or somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle. Right. Um, the other. Yeah. The other. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. On, I mean, on that note too. Um, well, one person that I'm partnering up with uh, here. Uh, is is one of the conservatives on city council, but he's he's also only 29 years old, so he's pretty young, and he also goes up against you know from the left or the right, you can go up against the corrupt system, um, and, and still fix fix things. Yeah, yeah. There, there there's a there's a really cool not from the from the uh, from the candidate side, but from the voting side, just getting people in, young people interested in voting that I really wanted to give a shout out to. Um, it's a it's a it's a website and an organization called Headcount. Um, and uh, what they do is they sign people up uh, to vote at, at concerts um, and oh, yeah. with, with, with the permission of the, of the artists. A lot of times the artists will give uh, kind of a shout out to them like on stage saying, hey, you know, if you care about the world, go vote and you can go right outside and do that. And the cool part about it is, is, if, you, is if you help with this organization, you also get in to see whatever concert it is um, for free. And they have some pretty amazing um, – shows that they do uh, of course they've been kind of shut down a little bit because of coronavirus but mm-hmm. but they're but they but they're just a really cool nonpartisan um organization that gets people voting mm-hmm. um yeah that sounds great yeah it, it's uh the young people are voting i think is what their slogan is so i thought that was awesome um and uh do you guys know who, who knows what what november 12th is it's the Tuesday after election day. Anybody anybody know? November uh November I don't know. Is is oh isn't that Daniel, the, do you know? Uh, I'm not quick. sure. Isn't it the like the National Run for Office Day or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's oh. National Run for Office Day. It was um I, I believe it was started pretty recently. Um but uh but there's actually a runforofficeday.com and uh and and if you're thinking about running for 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 any office, whether it be a local or, or, you know, state or maybe even national, um, you know, office, they have some resources to help you, um, help, help you get started. If you, if, especially if you're starting from the very beginning, um, and, uh, and it's really been trying to encourage new people to get into politics. So we don't just get the same, same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. 
So, okay, that's all my plugs. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I just mean, wanted to make sure that they got mentioned. There, there are so many resources and so many people that you can talk to to get, you know, just even just get involved, like in any way. There's so many resources out there that you can touch base with, that, whether it's, you know, partisan, you know, bipartisan, you know, whatever it may be. It's always great to just get involved in the community and, you know, in your state, in your country. Like it's, as many people say, and it's, you know, cliche, it's your civic duty, you know, as a citizen. So it's, it's just a great thing to do and it can be scary, but, you know, look at Daniel. He's a great example of somebody who saw an issue. He wanted to get involved. He started small and saw that, okay, well, if they're not going to make change, why don't I try? And even though he didn't, you know, win his candidacy, you know, win the primary, he was able to set examples, put forth these issues and really point out things that maybe the public didn't have a chance to see ahead of time. And, you know, he was able to make a difference in that way. But and that's kind of the benefit of being young and running for office is you got a lot of years ahead of you. Right. Daniel, what are you going to be doing next? Are you are you are you, you going to run for for uh, office again for another office? What's what what what's your plans? Yeah. Yeah, my plan is um is to looks like there's an open uh city council seat here uh, mm-hmm. for next year. So my plan is to uh start start launch a, launch another campaign in January uh for that city council seat. And it's pretty nice because I've already pretty much canvassed uh, my whole city council district and talked to most of those people. Um, so that, I think that's my next plan. Um, you know, I won't be able to work on climate change as much from there, but I'll be able to help with, um, economic justice and, um, many other different issues, uh, housing and just getting people their basic needs uh, from a city council, uh, uh, spot. So, you know, I'm definitely not done. I'm still fired up after that first campaign and, um, running again for the second, running for the second time, I've already got all this groundwork, um, already laid out where a lot of these people already will know me that will be in my district or that are in my district, or I already talked to them about my last campaign or they already voted for me. So I think, um, you know, there's a lot of groundwork there and I'm definitely not ready to uh, give up the fight for, you know, until we win really Mm -hmm. until I get some of these like big changes, at least uh, being able to stop climate change. Um, so I'm going to keep it up. All right. So we're coming up on time here. I've got one more question, but before I ask it, um, Kara, Curse, do you guys have anything? Kara, do you have anything to ask for Daniel? I think the the only other question I have, Daniel, it was so great to hear from you. It was super interesting. I think we've all learned a lot. Um, I want to know from your opinion, kind of having starting to wade through those trenches of being a young politician, do you think that the people currently in office can represent us well, or do you think that millennials and Gen Z need to get out there to be represented fairly? Oh, I think um, millennials and Gen Z definitely need to get out there. Uh, uh, more women in politics, I think, would also help a lot. Um, and uh, uh, younger people, more women, uh, more people of color. Uh, you know, just basically these um, old white men in suits was the problem with our PSC. And it's basically gotten us to where we are today. So I really just encourage, um, I think that's that's definitely going to need to happen if we're trying to see any systematic change it's not going to happen with the older generations so i i really highly encourage um as many young people to to take a shot at it and if anybody is doing it in missoula or in montana uh, i'm definitely a good person to reach out to to help uh, get you started as well you know we talked about you bring up women in government and we talked about it in the last episode but does some you know statistics to throw your way um they so it's pretty obvious that women who serve in office are just continually and consistently underrepresented at all levels. And so it, um, and this is from a, a Pew um, a research uh, report and it's 20% of us senators are women, women as are 18% of house members. And at the state level, only 10% of governors and 24% of state legislators are women. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, and, I mean, and while the majority of our country is women, so I know it's pretty, it's staggering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, I think the point that was made in the last episode was like, you know, like we just need to be better represented by, by a wider variety of people, you know, whether it be by sex or by say sexuality or by color, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, by age, you know, we just, it's like, we don't want to, like, I don't want to necessarily say, say, uh, 
tell someone who's who's older that they shouldn't run just because they're older. Like if they're the best candidate, they should win. But we definitely need to encourage a wider variety of people to get out there, um, to get out there and uh, to, you know, to, to, to really just shake it up a little bit um, because, you know, all, all that can happen is, is uh, you're, you know, you make some kind of a difference in people's mind and, and, and slowly but surely uh, things are going to start changing and they already are. Especially when Gen Z and millennial generation are the most diverse generations that, you know, the country's ever seen. Um, so the last question, um, Daniel, I know you wanted to touch base on this, um, but what do you think about the PSC's role in regulating the energy industry in Montana and how could they do better? Yeah. Um, so right now they're, so I guess just to start with that question, um, I used to think that the energy company made money off of things, off, off of giving us energy and providing people energy, but it turns out that's not the case. The energy companies. Well, not for the most of their money. Um, the energy company is making money off the things that they own. And the Public Service Commission here in Montana uh, granted them 11.5% uh, return on equity um, on everything that they own. So regardless of, um, of how much energy you use, we're all paying into, we're all paying for this company to own their gas plants, to own their coal plants, and so on and so forth. And the Public Service Commission uh, basically granted uh, a $407 million evaluation for North for Northwestern Energy's uh, share of coal strip. Um, even though that even though Northwestern Energy only paid about $180 million for it. So since they over-evaluated it, uh, the Public Service Commission over-evaluated this coal plant uh, by up to $407 million, people have been paying that 11.5% return on equity based off of that evaluation every year since 2008. Wow. So basically... Wow. Yeah. So basically here in Montana, for one of our basic needs, um, everybody has to use energy to survive in this society. Um, we're paying this company $40 million in profits off of a bad decision by the Public Service Commission every single year. And um, and that's only because uh, there's a bunch of like backdoor deals going on and the public and Northwestern Energy helped with their campaigns and stuff like that. But this company, um, I mean, the Public Service Commission is just really not favoring the, uh, the public here at all. They're just kind of subservient to the monopoly's interests. And um, so that's a big issue. Uh, basically, they've just been uh, allowing these companies to take advantage of, uh, of Montanans on something that's a basic need that everybody needs. So ultimately, I believe, and I, uh, you can't really do this from the Public Service Commission. This would have to be a law passed. But I believe in uh, public ownership of our utilities to eliminate these uh, for-profit monopolies like Northwestern Energy, um, they would be eliminated and then it would be a government-owned uh, energy grid. And the reasoning for that is because um, they wouldn't be making the, the $200 million in profits that they make every year off of uh, people's uh, basic needs like energy. But instead, um, that money would just go towards uh, lowering everybody's energy bills. Um, <clears throat> and uh, also, uh, the other thing of public ownership is that I think we would get to a renewable energy transition much faster because uh, the energy company is just focused on their next quarterly profits uh, rather than like what's best for our environment, our future, and everything like that. Um, so if it's publicly owned, then people would have more of a say in what happens uh, there as well. But um, basically, the Public Service Commission in Montana has just been allowing Northwestern Energy to get away with whatever they want. Um, and that, that's the big issue. They're not putting uh, the public first. The crazy thing is if it can happen in Montana, I feel like that can basically happen anywhere. Like I, I bet like it must I be. yeah. what state you're in right now, you know, listening to this, like I, I bet there is something that you can fix that, um, you know, that doing and a job you probably have never heard of if you just, if you just tried. And I think, you know, I think that would be hopefully the takeaway of the episode. Well, and I, I wonder if it's easy for them to hold that monopoly being that, Montana's population is, you know, about a million in the entire state. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's easier or harder. I'm not sure. Something to yeah, look into. It's hard to say, but um, yeah, originally uh, they have, they're able to have that monopoly just because the government granted mm -hmm. it a uh, monopoly. <laughs> Which um, is, seems wild to me. I mean, the same thing happens in California with PG&E, you know mm -hmm. I mean? So, I mean, it's, I'm not sure if it really has to do with necessarily like the population, uh, I think yeah. it has more to do with the awareness that the general public has of, 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 
of these backdoor deals. Mm-hmm. That's We're, fair. Right. Yeah. So I at least tried to bring that up as much as I could to people. So mm-hmm. I think I got more of the public here to be a little bit against the PSC and Northwestern energy and, and seeing that they got, they're getting screwed over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of work to be done there. So just before, just before we go, just because I haven't um, lived in Montana for a couple of years now, um, I know while I was in school, I was in school from uh, 2014 to 2018. Um, I took a, um, it was like intro to climate change class and it was a fascinating class. And we talked a lot about, um, like carbon reduction incentives and you know solar power incentives for residential homes or you know, residents in Montana and um, you know carbon emission reduction for businesses mm-hmm. and you know specifically for Northwestern Energy. Have there has there been any progress in that? You know, working with Northwestern Energy on you know like carbon caps, carbon tax, anything like that that you know I guess you've um, seen. Yeah, a lot of people are proposing carbon taxes and things like that. Um, well, basically, Northwestern Energy's plan right now, um, they have their emissions chart on their 20-year energy plan, mm-hmm. and it shows that uh, their emissions per energy unit used are going to basically go, I think, they're going to basically get cut down in the next 20 years by something like 5%, and then they're also doubling their energy portfolio with all these new gas plants. So really, their emissions are going to go up in the next 20 years if they get right. to do their plan. And um, I'm interesting that you brought up the carbon tax too, because I, I, you know, I used to think of that as like, it's probably part of the solution, but um, I met with uh, one of Northwestern Energy's representatives who helped write that plan. And I talked to him about a carbon tax. I said, how high would a carbon tax have to be for you to change your plan and not build these gas plants? And he said it would have to be really, really, really abnormally, extremely high. And then we're probably not going to change it. He was like, yeah, we're not going to change it. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, I guess you have to pick your battles. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. Gosh dang. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was fascinating to hear your perspectives and hear your experience, you know, running as a young person for office. Um, so, Kara Curtis, any closing remarks for Daniel? I, I hope you keep going, Daniel. I'll vote for you in whatever job you run for. Oh, thanks. Thank you all for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Um, if anything comes up, I'll uh, keep in contact with you and we'll let you know when the episode posts and we'll make sure to, you know, let you know so you can tag or do whatever you want with it on social media. Perfect. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Thank you, Daniel. All right. So that was uh, that was a really fun conversation. I thought I thought he had a lot of uh, really interesting and fun things to say, especially coming from personal experience. Yeah, he's a well. I thought I was muted just then. I'm sorry. No, it was just uh, talking to Dan, you know, hearing from his personal experience because, you know, in episode one, we talked so much about like, oh, well, this is how it affects them. This is how blah, blah. But hearing it from somebody who actually did it is really fascinating to hear. Yeah, no, it was super interesting. He's an absolute well of knowledge. Uh, you know, I'm, I was so impressed talking to him initially. I was so impressed talking to him now. Um, exactly who the type of person that we we need in in office like I said pretty much I don't care what he's running for I mean it just seems like a you know the type of person that would run for for an, uh, would run for an office that he cares about that would you know he would have something uh, that he's fighting for and and you know isn't interested in all these in all these you know special backdoor deals and stuff that mm-hmm. ends up happening so that's just I don't know it's really it's really nice to to talk to somebody who who sort of encompasses all of what say a a politician of any age should be Mm -hmm. all right guys well that will do it for part two of the young and the political um yeah episode six guys we're moving on to episode seven we're not sure what it's going to be at this point but uh we'll talk about that and figure it out uh if you want to it's going to be great because <laughs> uh, we're professionals uh if you want to get a hold of us shoot us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com if you want to check out our website go to podcastswithoutborders.com uh, you can also look us up on facebook that way um as well as uh i just started an instagram for us uh, i don't yeah you can check out instagram <laughs> at uh podcast without borders as well um i'm not sure how active i'm gonna be on it i'll you know post here and there but uh follow us give us a give us a follow because uh you know any i guess public display of our network and our show helps um 
Yeah. And make sure you write us a review. Uh, let us know what you think. Let us know what we can improve on. Let us know what you like most of all. And uh, give us, go ahead and just give us five stars. That <laughs> Write your review, but just, just give us five stars. And uh, then, you know, we will provide even better content because you gave us five stars and it makes us feel good. So how it, how it works is five stars is is the best rating you can get. But if you like if you hate us, it actually starts over again. So five stars is also if you hate us. <laughs> there we go. That's how this works, guys. It's a five out of five scale. Uh, <laughs> so um, with that being said, Curtis, Kara, anything to plug for this episode? Nothing. No, nothing. nothing. Crazy, uh, just like I always say, be good to each other. Uh, like we were talking in the last episode, definitely vote uh, when it's your time to vote. And oh, vote. And the the like the main thing I would love for for somebody to do is listen to this episode and actually run for something. Actually, give a damn. That'd be great. Being good, Kara. Are you tired? You sound tired. Me? Yeah. She's she's a little sleepy. She's a little sleepy. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> On... Not a, not an easy environment to work in. That's fair. On that note, uh, let's close it out. So we'll uh, talk to y'all in episode seven. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening. Er führt durch die Straßen.